There's a lot of familiar faces headed down to Houston, Texas this week as the Mountaineers play on a Thursday night stage against their former head coach and Dana Holgerson. We get into that and everything about the Mountaineers coming off their bye week on this episode of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Wesley Shoemaker, Patrick, and now back with you with another episode. This time coming to you a little bit earlier in the week with our Houston Preview Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 10th. The fall chill is here in the Morgantown air. However, Mountaineers are heading south to face Houston. Couple notes before we get going. Mountaineers coming off a bye week. It's a mini bye. So is Houston. Big 12 is nice where they gave you the bye before you play a Thursday night game. It's always been that way. Good, good, good on good there. Uh, And then also, obviously, there's the Dana storyline. We'll get into that later. And then overall, the Mountaineers kind of just getting healthy and hoping for a big, uh, big game in a big spot here this week. So first things first, Patrick, just your overall thoughts on Mountaineers getting a much needed bye week. I know it's been a minute since we've been doing this. We had fall break here in WVU and we both went places so just your overall thoughts on the bye week and then what you expect for Houston this week um I think the bye week was desperately needed especially after the TCU game where you just had injury after injury throughout that whole game um but now coming off the bye week you're going into a Thursday night game against Houston a lot of familiar faces both on the field on the coaching staff um but a much needed bye week for those players, especially this team in general. You could kind of see dudes just kind of getting beat up left and right, dropping like flies. Obviously there are the big injury concerns, but we'll get into more specific injuries later. But for guys like CJ Donaldson, who carry a big workload on this team, he just looked not fully himself. While it's also important to note that Aubrey was one of his good friends and Trey Lathan was his high school teammate and really close, close friend on the team. That's something that could have affected him. However, it's still worth mentioning that he was not himself. It didn't appear throughout the last couple of games, especially considering how he looked against Pitt in the backyard brawl. So that's the biggest thing for me is for guys like him, for guys like Lee Koba, who are always on the field, who are always moving, for this offensive line just to kind of get off their feet because their workhorse is up front and it's it's good for them to kind of get the bye and I'm pretty sure it was needed. And then obviously you have the quarterback situation with Garrett Green, Nico Markiel, both of them needing to get healthy with their ankle injuries and they did just that. So moving on. The big storyline is what we're going to get into. Is it a big storyline? Is it not? It is the return of Dana Holgerson, excuse me, sort of. Mountaineers head to Houston. Holgerson has been with the Cougs since 19, since Neil came in, since Dana left. And his name, as well as Neil's, has gotten thrown around by national outlets as as coaches on the hot seat. They're in a tough spot right now. They are 2-3 and three overall, 0-2 in Big 12 play. But also that group of five to power five transition, especially in football, is kind of tough. They have some dudes, certainly on offense. Their offense is a Dana-esque offense. But let's just start here. Houston has four former players, two players that were on this team last year, and Tony Mathis and Michael Laughlin. Those are going to be the most familiar names for Mountaineer fans. The other two are Noah Guzman and Samuel Brown, Sam Brown. So those guys were here, 2019-2020 areas. Uh, and now 
the Mountaineers are heading to face their former teammates and face a lot of former players who are on that coaching staff, coaches who coached here. So my big question for you, Patrick, are you buying it as a story or is it really nothing for us to look at and the game's played on the field? Who cares who was where first? Um, I don't really think it's as much of a story as it's being made out to be. Um, Dana left you know, in 2019 and Neil came in and both teams have just kind of been doing what they've needed to do in those times. Dana's been playing in the American. Neil had been playing in the big 12, two very different things. So I don't think it's as much of a story as people are really making it out to be. I I agree. I think there's obviously the factor of it should be talked about because Dana was here for so long and he did have a, pretty good history here. I believe he's second in all-time wins for West Virginia football in the program here. I think he had something like 61 wins. I could be mistaken, but I think it was something like that. And he obviously had the Orange Bowl team. He had a couple of 10-win seasons. And then 2018 was kind of the, are you going to be able to get over that proverbial hump? And they obviously just couldn't do that with a couple of just heartbreaking, gut-wrenching losses there that season. So, I think it's cool to talk about. I agree. I just don't think it has much of an impact on the game. I think, heck, you could say the rivalry game between West Virginia and Pitt, there's more of an effect on the field because of things that might boil over. I just don't think there's that level of tension or bad blood from either side, really, for anything to boil over to on-the-field effect. So I'm not really buying it as a story for the game itself, but I think it's something that should be talked about because – one can argue history should always be talked about and that is history. And so why not bring it up when it's relevant to both places? Yeah. It's Dana has, you know, for West Virginia fans, there's been animosity towards Dana for how he left when he left. Um, But for Dana, he's, he's never said anything bad about West Virginia. He's never tried to come out and, you know, knock on the team for anything. He's always just been talking very well about the team, talking well about Neil Brown. So on the field, I don't think it'll be anything. Um, I think in Mo- I think if the game were in Morgantown, it might be a little bit of a different conversation. But with the game being in Houston, I just obviously talk about it, but I don't think it'll be as big of a deal as people make it think it will be. Yeah, agreed. He really hasn't said anything bad. Obviously, there's been a couple subtle comments. If you just know about it, you know about it. Uh, And I don't think there was really necessarily a shot taken. I think it was just more of him voicing his opinion and not necessarily trying to take aim at West Virginia. But either way, let's move on to Houston, who they are as a team. Breaking down their schedule, they are five games in, just like the Mountaineers, 17 and four, 17 to 14 win over UTSA, 43 to 41 double overtime loss to Rice, then a 36 to 13 loss to TCU, 38 to 7 win over Sam Houston, and then a 48 to 28 loss to Texas Tech, where I think at half it was 35-28 Texas Tech, which is just a lot of points. And that's what this Houston do- offense does is they score the ball like crazy. Texas Tech quarterback transfer Donovan Smith is their quarterback 74% completions 1300 yards nine touchdowns three interceptions also has 55 carries for 162 yards and three touchdowns he's their second leading rusher after you take into account the yards lost 
However, he has the highest gain total on their team on the ground, which is important to note. A couple running backs here, Parker Jenkins, Stacey Steed, solid numbers. Tony Mathis, we'll mention him. He doesn't, he doesn't get as much play as he did here last year. 23 carries, 111 yards, three receptions for 22 yards. And then let's just go down the receivers. There is Sam Brown, former Mountaineer. He leads them in catches, 34 catches, 518 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, there is no one. They have three receivers with more than 10 catches, and they all have 25, 24, and 34, and then no one else has above, I think, eight or nine. Michael Laughlin, former tight end, four catches, 26 yards. They also have a pretty good defensive line. They're getting after the quarterback pretty well. Nate, Nelson Caesar, Caesar uh, he leads the Big 12 in sacks a game, third in total sacks. And then Malik Fleming on the back end, as well as Isaiah Hamilton, both are top 10 in the Big 12 in interceptions. And just seeing how they kind of stack up numbers-wise, ranks-wise in the Big 12, their offense is scoring just above 27 points per game, which is 10th. Defense giving up almost 30 points per game, which is 13th in the Big 12. Rush offense is 10th. Rush defense is 12th. Pass offense is 3rd. That's a big key for the Mountaineers. Pass defense is 12th. Just looking at the numbers there, third down conversions, they're pretty good, 46.1%, which is fifth in the Big 12. However, if you get them to fourth down, they are pretty bad, 2 of 12, 16% on the year, and that is good enough for last in the conference. So there's a general breakdown. I think something's happened in the Orioles game, if you can hear that from my roommates. But general breakdown of the Cougars, my overall thoughts is if you can stop their air attack or at least limit it, you're going to have a great chance to win this game. I think their defense is going to give up points, but I also think you're going to have to play them a little differently. You're going to have to move the ball around, not just go ground and pound. Do a little bit of what we saw against TCU there with the downfield throws, getting getting people going across the middle, getting action going on the sides, but also getting Garrett Green mobile and active too. I think he's going to be the healthiest he's been since Duquesne and we saw what he was against Duquesne obviously it sucked that he got hurt when he did against Pitt because everyone around that building including head coach Neil Brown says that's when he was kind of getting into a rhythm there so for me it's how will Garrett Green respond how will he do with a good nice long break and how will he kind of carry this offense which as I think is a well-known fact kind of needs to pick it up and back up this defense yeah it's to win this game, they're going to have to limit the air attack, which with the secondary, um, still kind of figuring out how that's really going to go for them. They were able to stop it against Texas Tech and TCU to an extent. Um, but if you can do that and just kind of get them to start running the ball, uh, that's the recipe for success defensively, offensively. I think it's going to be the same thing they did against TCU little less ground and pound, but try and establish the run, but definitely get the pass game going just so you're able to flip through both. Um, then you have Garrett at his healthiest, be able to scramble. Um, but for those, if they can get those things done, they'll have a really good shot at winning that game. Yeah, Houston just doesn't really want to run the ball at all. They are a very pass-first, pass-oriented team. I mean, everyone knows what Dana's offense was. It was a, let's get the ball out quick, let's get it in space, and then bigger things open up off of that. And just going through West Virginia's schedule, Penn State, run first. They had those two really good workhorse running backs. Pitt, they couldn't throw the ball. We all know that. Texas Tech, the way they played, they wanted to run the ball first too. And then TCU, they had the – they had the quarterback run kind of be the 
focal point of their offense, and then they built everything off of that. So the Mountaineers have never, not never, have not faced really a true pass-pass, air raid, pass-pass attack like they're going to face against Houston. And so I'll go first here. Is this a concern for this West Virginia defense? I think against TCU, we saw a lot of missed tackles. Obviously, the dropped interceptions, who it could have been a much different ballgame if you just catch one, two, three of the, it seemed like a dozen opportunities. It was really closer to six, I would say, but it just seemed like at every point you would turn your head, there was a chance for someone to get an interception. So that's got to be cleaned up, especially on the road here. And also, you're going to have to tackle in space against these guys. And I'm, will, I'm I'm curious to see how this coverage is going to hold up, especially if Aubrey Burks is not able to go. My gut feeling is it says he doesn't play. It's just – it's hard to mentally to just go right back out there in your next game after what he did. He's listed as questionable. We'll get into injuries in a second. But is is Houston off – is Houston's offense a concern for you this week, Pat? Um, I think so. I think – I think they, um, the past game is going to be a real concern. Um, we keep saying every week, you know, this will be the week where we're really able to figure out what's going on with this team. I think so far we've nailed down just about everything we can with this team, except for past defense. Um, so that's going to be a concern, but as long as you're able to stop that and again, same thing it was in the pit game, same thing against Texas Tech, TCU. You cannot have the picks where after the game you say, oh, that should have been a pick. You Against a team that throws the ball as much as Houston does, there cannot be the should have picks again. There has to be just the picks. I, I kept thinking to myself at that TCU game, which one's going to come back and bite this team? Which one mm-hmm. is going to come back and hurt this team? Because it was opportunity after opportunity. A couple of them were walk-in touchdowns if you just catch the ball. And then they end up getting the ball back to the offense, but the offense can't really do anything with it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, defense, just make that one final play, and this game is over. They ended up did making the final play. It was in a different form with the two-blocked field goals. But for me, it's just like you have to take advantage of those opportunities because they don't come around so often. And – when you have a team like Houston that throws the ball as much as they do, there will probably be those opportunities and there will those probably be those chances for interceptions, but you've got to take advantage because if not, they'll make you pay. And it's also for me interested to see Jordan Leslie this week. He had a thing where he talked about there were three missed assignments and three touchdowns. And for me, all three of those, if I'm not mistaken, were kind of simple crossing patterns across the middle, just house calls and that that can't really be a good thing it obviously there was the quarterback rush touchdown but I think the fourth and two which ended up being a touchdown there was another one and then they just seemed to be going to the middle of that defense all night I want to see if there's adjustments or if those were truly just missed assignments and this defense can account for that or how that changes because I mean we saw it with in 2018 with David Sills and Will Greer, like they love that little slant on this on this type of offense. And obviously it's not the exact same offense. Coaches change, personnel changes, but you get the gist. And this defense is going to be put to the test. It's going to be hotter than it here is in Morgantown. Cramps will certainly be an issue, I would imagine. It's not going to be the most hostile environment either like TCU was. So you have to kind of get ready and get yourself going. And I think it is a concern, like you said. Yeah, um, the environment, it'll be 
Uh, it'll be similar to the TCU, I think. Thursday night humidity. Um, the uh, the crowd definitely will not be as hostile, just because we play TCU every single year. West Virginia does. This is, you know, I don't know if they've ever played Houston before. No, nope, this is the this is the first ever matchup between West Virginia and Houston. Yeah, so there's not going to be much hostility. Um, but I think. Uh, just the environment shouldn't play much of a factor. You are going to see the cramps, though. Just heat, humidity. Hopefully, we hopefully there aren't guys dropping like flies like there were against TCU, especially after a bye week. Yeah, let's let's talk about guys who dropped against TCU. Obviously, Trey Lathan done for the year. That's probably the last time we're going to mention his name on any sort of injury report. But a couple of offensive line fixtures that West Virginia could be without Tomas Remack, your left guard. He is out. Wyatt Milam, who was poked in the eye, he is considered a game-time decision. And then, as previously mentioned, Aubrey Burks, he is questionable. So, if Milam can't go, that really thing throw things into a little bit of a blender on that offensive line. Right now, I'm assuming your starting right guard, uh, Brandon Yates, is going to shift over to left guard. And then Jaquay Hubbard will fill in at that right guard spot for Yates. And then, if Milam can't go, it will be Nick Malone. But then you're kind of looking at your depth, and you're like, whoa, we got a lot of freshman sophomores guys who haven't really been game tested yet what's going to come of that against a pretty solid houston defensive line who can get after the passer however one thing to note houston is not great against the run uh, pro football focus grades their defense their rush defense excuse me at a 71.7 grade which is 10th in the big 12 so that's certainly something to watch as well of will this attrition kind of get to that Houston defensive line if West Virginia is able to successfully run the ball. But now I kind of want to shift gears to, is this a letdown spot? I feel like everyone's talking about how West Virginia is improving, how 2-0 in the Big 12, 4-1 overall, getting votes in the AP poll. But do you think this could be a ideal, quote-unquote, letdown spot trap game type beat for the Mountaineers who are expected to win this game? Um, I think... It can, I think it could fall under a trap game. Um, I think there's better, I think there's a better bet at a trap game for them being the Oklahoma State game after this. I feel like that's looking more like a trap game than this one is, especially as the season's gone on. Um, it's hard to consider this one a trap game just with a Thursday night away game, prime time. I don't really know how much of that I'd consider a trap game, especially just looking at the way Houston's been this year. It, it could really go either way. It just depends on how you're feeling that day of whether you want to lean it's a trap game or not. Yeah, to me, it's, this kind of seems like your very stereotypical West Virginia letdown type of night. Thursday night, they're supposed to win. They go on the road, and they just don't have their A stuff. And... That, to me, worries me a little bit because this is not a game you can afford to drop if you really want to stay in this Big 12 title conversation heading into the rest of the rest of the month of October. And that's scary. I do agree that I think the night game aspect helps, even though it will be 6 o'clock local time in Houston. But it's a tricky spot. It's a tricky spot to navigate. They've got to find their, they've got to find now self-motivation, but they also at the same time have to deal with winning. We've heard so much of how they can motivate themselves. 14th, 14th, pick 14th. Oh, they're supposed to beat us. They're supposed to beat us. They've been underdogs in their last two games. They won them both outright. Here they are now a favorite on the road, supposed to beat a team. How do they handle success is the big thing I'm looking for. Yeah, uh, I definitely 
just the atmosphere of the game and then with it being the prime time Thursday night, that's a game, especially on the road, you want to see them go in and you almost want to see West Virginia go into this game and just make a statement more than anything. Um, jump out to the early lead and then just kind of gas, all gas, no break from there on out. Keep your foot on the pedal. You really want to see West Virginia make a statement in this game to just keep going from that point on. Yeah, I agree. I think there's two ways this game goes. I think you beat Houston by a lot and you proved to everyone that you should be a top 25 team come next Monday or hey, Houston hangs around and you are way more nervous than you should be at the end of this game or you fall on the losing end of things. So that is a good segue into our picks portion. We have six games on the docket this week, a lot of Pac-12 action. Obviously, didn't pick any games last week. We were off here. So let's start here. USC at Notre Dame. I'll go first. I think USC wins on the road. Notre Dame, they're struggling right now. It seems like if (laughs) their whole season's changing, if they – punch it in against Ohio State or limit Ohio State from scoring and maybe should have lost to Duke too. And I just think USC's offense might hang a lot of points on them. My only question is, can USC stop the run enough from Notre Dame? But I'll take USC. Yeah, USC has the questionable defense. Notre Dame has the questionable offense. Uh, If I were a betting man, I'd put my money on the Heisman guy and Caleb Williams and USC to win that game. You don't have to answer this, but you're not a betting man? Uh, just kidding. Moving on, UCLA at Oregon State. I'll take Oregon State at home. Yeah, I'm going to have to go Oregon State in that one. You go first here, Auburn at LSU. Um, uh, I'll go with LSU. I think Brian Kelly kind of bounces back this week. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go Auburn. I know they kept it pretty close with Georgia there for a little bit, and I haven't seen enough from LSU's defense to show me that they're promising quite yet. Miami at North Carolina. Oh, I'm glad we are not Miami writers because that would be a mess, but give me UNC at home. I think they're just too too good. Yeah, I'm going to have to go North Carolina. Oregon at Washington, game of the day. I was just in Oregon. I'm going to take the Ducks. Let's go Ducks. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Washington, Michael Penix Jr. You ever heard of Bo Nix, buddy? Uh and then our game, West Virginia Houston, and a little bit of a why. I'm gonna go West Virginia wins this game. I'm gonna say 34 to 24. I think it's kind of close early. I think he I think West Virginia kind of takes a pretty good lead, and then Houston just kind of grabs a touchdown late. I've got faith in this offense, and at some point they're either gonna show up or they're just not going to show up all year and now is your time to, if you're an offense and you want to get right game this is your get right game it's against the houston defense which has struggled so i'll take the mountaineers covering the two two and a half whatever it is right now and i will take them winning 34 to 24 over the cougars i've got west virginia winning this game 35 to say 21 i think they're gonna I think this is the game where the offense does get right. Um, I think this is the game you're going to see West Virginia score more times through the air than you do on the ground. Um, And I think they're just going to be able to contain Houston a little bit better. 
I'm interested to see if Devin Carter will get a touchdown this week. That is my player to watch. So yeah. that's just a side comment, but if you made it this far, we do appreciate you listening. I'm Wesley Shoemaker. Join me, Patrick, and now keep it locked on bluegoldsports.com for all your West Virginia sports content. And this is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast.